Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Jared Woods. Joining me today is Managing Editor of the NCO Journal, Chago Zapata, and NCOIC Sergeant First Class, Osvaldo Aguite. In this episode, we're discussing a recent article titled, Building a Culture of Growth. Also joining us to discuss the article are the authors, Sergeant Major Billy Atkinson, retired Sergeant Major David Stewart, and Sergeant Major Victor Velasco. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Please tell us a little about yourselves. Hello, good morning. This is Sergeant Major Velasco. I've been in the Army 23 years and currently serving as a Department of Forest Management instructor. Um, I'm a medic, so I've been <clears throat> different numerous assignments from infantry organizations to hospitals. So I have a, <clears throat> a long sense of experience. Hello, everyone. Uh, name is Sergeant Major Billy Joe Atkinson. Uh, currently been in the Army for 22 years, uh, currently working in the Department of Force Management as an instructor, been here for a couple years, um, enjoy what I do and just enjoy sharing knowledge uh, with our, our new future Sergeant Majors. All right, I'm uh, Dave Stewart, I'm a retired Sergeant Major with uh, 30, 30 plus some change years uh, of active service. Uh, I'm an instructor in the Department of Force Management and been uh, working uh, here at the academy as a, uh, a, an Army civilian uh, for the last uh, almost four years. Uh, and my last position was as the senior enlisted leader uh, for the Center for Army Profession Ethic. And uh, as a side gig, I was also the senior enlisted advisor uh, to Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel for military professionalism uh, before I retired. Well, it's great to have you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll just start with the first question and get into this article here. Uh, in your article, we're introduced to the Army struggling to develop its soldiers. So how, how do we begin to address this issue, and with whom does this start? I'll go ahead. So so for me, I, and I appreciate the question, and you know, it's always that age, that that old age question that everybody asks, and, and it starts really with everyone, right? So, so everyone is responsible for the organization's culture. Uh, not one person uh, can make um, make it a growth culture. So, um, when when you can wish it all you want, uh, but until you get uh, everyone involved and responsible for the culture that you want to set, um, things are going to be difficult. And then uh, I'll just add on to that. Um, it just, just, and I like how uh, Mr. Stewart mentioned everyone, but just kind of get more into that a, a little bit, not every leader, but everyone. And, and that's both aspects, right? So that comes from the individual leader and the individual uh, themselves, the subordinate, if you will. Um, it goes both ways. Uh, and it really starts with uh, three things, I believe, uh, really uh, transparency, um, treating people like people, that respect, if you will, and then that candid, um, honest feedback, if you will, uh, just to add a little bit over there. So I, I probably also would like to add, because really, uh, and, and again, I use a lot of analogies, but I, th I think sometimes they work, right? And so again everyone's responsible but ultimately right the leader must create the environment where that growth can happen and the analogy i'll use right and i use this a lot uh are farmers right so you know far farmers are going to pr plant their crop 
every year and they're going to get they're going to get successful crops and they're going to get not successful crops but what that farmer does to the environment right so every seed right is is eligible to grow uh so it's not like a, there's a, a defective seed uh the seed is there it will grow uh, but you have to put the right nutrients in there. You got to put the right environment in there, sun, uh, the chemicals, you got to water it, right? A leader who doesn't do those things are never going to get a crop that's going to grow to its full potential, right? Are there outliers? Absolutely, right? You can give uh, seeds, right? Water, nutrients, and things like that. They're never going to develop because they don't want to. Right. And I, I look at it the same way in an army organization. You, the leader has to make the environment uh, worthy of developing and growing. Um, but the individual is just as responsible for taking those that environment and going with it. A colleague of yours recently wrote an article, Project Athena in Action. Does your article and building a culture of growth, is there a tie in between Project Athena and your article? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'll say 100% it is. Um, I, I think it's, it, it really starts as, at creating that positive environment, that growth culture, um, because that leads into those three areas that we want to focus on. We want to focus on that mentorship, on the counseling, and then coaching, which coaching directly ties into your Project Athena. Uh, but you got to establish that um, relationship between that leader and the individual being counseled, coached, or mentored. Because uh, if you don't establish that, then it just becomes uh, a conversation that just kind of ends there. Uh, but you don't want it to end there. You want it to be effective, uh, productive conversations to drive the individual to uh, to reach its full potential, kind of the analogy Mr. Stewart used there. Your article centers on the idea of building a culture of growth. So in an ideal unit or organization, what does this look like? So again, uh, and, and again, uh, Victor, as soon as you, or sorry, Major Velasco, as soon as you want to jump in there. But uh, I, think, I think for me, right, uh, development is an everyday event, right? Uh, and again, it includes everyone. Uh, and, and the analogy that the three of us used, you know, while we were collaborating on this was, just like physical fitness is an everyday event, so should development, right? And if you don't, if you don't put developmental activities uh, in your your daily training plan or how you're going to attack things, right? The analogy we use, right? You you can you can wish you're going to get stronger, but if you never go to the gym or you don't do enough reps, right? You don't do enough push-ups. How can you expect to do 200 push-ups? That's all part of all part of growth. It's got to be baked into our everyday culture, right? And we called it the developmental gym, right? If you don't go to the if you don't go to the gym every day, you're not going to develop. You're just going to be the same the same person you were last week, last month, last year. No, I, I completely agree with Dave because we've we've talked about this pretty in, pretty in depth of how we develop a culture of growth. Right. And sometimes our leaders don't give, you know, do we, how much training do we do when it comes to like leadership, mentorship? Do our, our leaders know how to, to mentor and develop? I mean, if you look at research, there's still a lot of challenging definitions as it pertains to leadership. And it has to be something that we do every day. 
right? Because soldiers are model. Soldiers see good leaders and that's who they want to be like, but it has to be every day and everyone has to have a voice, right? That's the key thing is everybody has to have a voice, right? We, we've kind of come from a culture of, hey, this is the way it needs to be. This is what we need to do, make it happen, right? But with generational changes and everything else going on, right? We have to entrust in our subordinates and our soldiers to, to what are your ideas? You know, what are your insights? You are as much as this or, or part of this organization as I am. So what are you bringing to the table? What are your thoughts? And then uh, I just add a, a small element there. Um, so really down at that, you know, unit level, organizational level where the things happen, um, you know, it's, it's establishing that relationship between the leader and the subordinate um, and within that whole organization that you're providing that constructive, uh, effective feedback, not, not belittling somebody, not putting somebody down, not, not insulting somebody, not embarrassing somebody, right? But just establishing that and respecting each other. Uh, and it really starts there, because if you could do that and build that trust there, then then um, when you do provide as a leader that uh, feedback, it, it's taken in uh, with uh, with heart, into the heart and kind, and, and it's executed effectively. Yeah, I think a, a, couple, mo uh, a couple other tidbits that I thought of uh, when you asked that question, right, are, you know, we're not so much, and this comes from the, the book that's mentioned in the article, uh, an everybody culture, uh, but we're not talking about developing a career, right? Because a lot, you hear that in the army, how are you gonna develop me to have a successful career? Uh, so we're not really talking about developing a career, we're talking about developing a person, a human being that is having a career, because it's that developed person that has a great career. Right, so so we don't want to develop the career. We want to develop the person that is actually having the positions, the career uh, that they want to live. And, and the other thing I'll you know I'll mention is, and, and most people in the military think of um, leader development, right, as that monthly thing that only leaders go to. Right, it can't be that feedback and development cannot be monthly. And quite frankly, right, most of the listeners out there uh, are only getting feedback or developmental advice annually when their uh, evaluation report comes up, right? And so, again, if you don't bake it into your culture every day, how can we get better if the only thing we're getting is a monthly counseling statement or a yearly evaluation report uh, and then uh, the uh, professional development sessions that only include E5 and above. Well, how are the E1 and E4s learning how to become good sergeants? We got to include them somewhere in, in that process. Yeah, I just, I, I don't think we make it as a priority as it should be, right? So if you look at all the research that's done and been conducted is we, we are good at accomplishing the mission, right? We prioritize the mission. We have these metrics that say we prioritize the mission and we can accomplish our mission. But when it comes to development of the soldiers, we don't we don't put as much effort into it as we do as we do going to the field, right? So something that right, Sergeant Major of the Army kind of mentioned, he asked the question, you know, are we asking the right questions, right? And that kind of resonates with how right is it? Are we asking, hey, did you accomplish this? Are we asking how did you accomplish it, right? Are we we conducting this counseling. So how did you conduct that counseling? Right? Was was the meat and potatoes in the counseling or was the meat and potatoes 
in the conversation that you had with that soldier, kind of getting to know that soldier, developing that soldier, seeing what their personal and career goals are, right? The army's not for everybody, but if he has career goals outside of the army, then continue to develop them outside of the army. And I just think the question that we need to start asking is how, how did we do that, right? How did the leader develop that soldier? Not whether, hey, did you do it or not? Good. No, how did you do it? How did you do it? Did you sit down? Was it quiet? And it, it kind of pertains to everything, right? Training and everything else is how was that training conducted? Not whether the training was conducted or not, but how was it conducted? Yeah, and I think you, you know, you asked what it what would it look like, right? And I think I think the big thing that I always, not always, but at least in speaking with Sergeant Major Atkinson and Sergeant Major Velasco was, you know, in, in my perfect realm, it goes to uh, you know, me, the platoon sergeant or the squad leader going, hey, PFC Smith, uh, we are conducting um, a physical training on Friday. Here's, here's what I would like to do on Friday for physical fitness, and I want you to lead it, right? And then ask if, 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 if PFC Smith has any questions. Right? Then let PFC Smith run the PT session, right? And at the end of the PT session, have an after action review with the entire platoon or squad there. Hey, how did PFC Smith do on leading the PT session this morning? What could he have done better? What did he do really well, right? And then after, because that's building a team, right? I think we, we talk about, uh, trying to build individuals. And a lot of people say, well, you let PFC Smith run the PT session or run this exercise and then pull him in the office or her in the office and, and tell them what they did well or, or what they didn't do so well at. But I think to build a cohesive team, everybody has to understand what each other's weaknesses and strengths are. And you rotate that through the entire platoon, right? You, you have to have failures uh, in order to grow. And if you don't give people an opportunity to fail, then there's no growing. And so I think uh, several events like that throughout the day is how we, we build this, what it would look like in a perfect organization uh, trying to develop its, its soldiers uh, across the formation. And then I would like to just add one thing because uh, Mr. Stewart said some great things and I just want to kind of uh, add this piece there, um, you know, emotional intelligence, right? So, um, you know, being, Mr. Stewart mentioned something about somebody needs to be able to be okay with failing, right? And when you're, when you fail, be able to have that emotional intelligence to understand that that was just a small failure and then you control your decisions and your emotions to be able to continue to perform in a productive way, right? To move forward, use that as a learning lesson, and then just uh, get better with time, right? But that takes that whole individual and along with that leader support to make sure uh, you develop that growth culture so they will take a failed experience and actually improve instead of failing and not wanting to do it again. Um, but again, it takes that whole organization uh, to do that. And, and that and that type of feedback has to be genuine, right? Just adding to what Sergeant Major Atkinson and what Mr. Stewart said is when we do those AARs, it has to be genuine, right? Hey, you did a good job. Hey, but hey, these are these are some of the areas you need to work in. 
or you know give them the opportunity to actually do it don't give them that task the morning of right provide them some some time give them some guidance and then when we come back it's not just all right guys let's do an ar it's hey so hey great job you know you did this this what are some areas that we could have worked on to to kind of meet the, the intent but it has to be genuine and kind of like Sarmajor Atkinson, that intent, intent, emotional intelligence to be able to, to accept that feedback, right? Because if you haven't built that culture, that soldier might be like, no, they're just jumping down my throat again, right? I'm not going to accept this feedback because you have to have that culture to have that acceptable feedback from the soldiers. Gentlemen, I have a question about uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, when I read your article, I saw that you have, uh, you guys con conducted an experiment on in, in, uh, emotional intelligence. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe give us a vignette, like some vignette or something. And then also, how can soldiers apply the check-in and check-out process or, or part of your, your experiment in, in a practical application or situation within their, their command? Yeah, I, I, I know that we kind of use, you know, use the word experiment. And I, and, and I don't, I'm not sure it's an experiment. I think it was more a, a necessity of trying to be a more effective instructor because kind of like Sergeant Major Velasco was just talking about, right? So we have students that are coming in here and pouring their hearts and souls out in, in, in writing assignments. And, you know, we as instructors are pouring our hearts out trying to, to give them effective feedback to become better in, uh, writers or better critical thinkers. So you know, not really uh, so much an experiment, but a need to be a more effective instructor so that we can return, you know, to the Army, the, the, the best senior non-commissioned officers that we possibly can. And I think what I was finding out was that, that people weren't as accepting of the feedback that I was providing. And I was, I was spending a lot of time trying to be effective with it. And so I, I was trying to figure out what, what can I do to be more effective at getting people to accept the feedback that I'm given? Um, and, and maybe you, you know, you can, uh, you know, vouch for it. You all deal with article writing all the time and, and, and people probably don't share their ideas in writing all the time because they're not confident, right? With that skill or whatever the case is. Uh, and so, uh, I think, so it was last year, right? So Sergeant Major Velasco was my military teaching partner last year. And I had come across this, what I thought was easy to put in place called check-in and check-out from uh, an everybody culture uh, and had no idea how, how it would work. And so I pitched it to him as a, you know, a new partner. I realized that if he and I weren't on the same sheet of music, uh, in building this environment, it just would not work. Uh, and, you know, long story short, uh, super success uh, last year with our core room and several rooms um, last year for class 71, uh, where, where people opened up and they started accepting the feedback that we gave them. And then to find out that outside of the classroom, that the students have built this, this inseparable, cohesive team that continue to push each other through the remainder of a very difficult year where we spend a lot of time virtual, right? Uh, and so uh, with that being said, we also had a lot of um, uh, 
uh, students that were were mentally uh, not dealing uh, well with the virtual environment uh, because of life events and things like that. And we gave them an opportunity to share with their fellow students uh, this vulnerability, right? And, and to not mention vulnerability, right, is, is probably a, um, a mistake in itself because, you know, uh, the start of growth is truth, right? Uh, and so it's not mentioned in the book, but you got Brene Brown and Dare to Lead who, who research vulnerability, but vulnerability is, is true authentic, authentic, right? That, that I'm, you know, I'm not telling you that I'm like this super weak person, but that I'm a human being and I share the same vulnerabilities that you do. Uh, and so I have to be able to understand where you're coming from uh, so that we can build a relationship where when I tell you you're not doing as well as you could, you accept that and you try to be better. Uh, and so what was missing was the relationships. Um, for class 72, the leadership split me and Sergeant Major Velasco up. Uh, and so now we have it going on in two classrooms. Uh, and I think and I won't put words in Sergeant Major Velasco or Sergeant Major Atkinson's mouth, but at the end of the day, I think what we have found is that uh, doing it in both classrooms, we're seeing the same similar success stories uh, that, that people that are willing to be vulnerable, right, are having a much more positive experience at the academy than those that are not sharing. And, and, and where that goes, right, is we spend a lot of time uh, in our professional lives trying to hide our inadequacies and our perception of other people. And the other analogy I'll use is, is you know, driving, right? Driving is your number one job, right? But how many people are trying to do the second job, which is texting, right? How good are you at driving if you spend most of your time texting, right? I think the, the accident stats will tell you that people that, that try to do that second job while they're driving aren't so good at the first job. And that's kind of what uh, Harvard Business Review and uh, their research has found is that, that we spend so much time trying to hide our weaknesses that we're not really good at doing our first job. So we're trying to, with check-in and check-out, we're trying to bring the obvious. And here, here's, here's the example you're looking for, right? I just issued you a 2,500-word uh, white paper assignment that's due in 10 days, and you're dealing with the divorce. There you go. You're about to lose your kids. Uh, you're about to lose the life that you've been used to for the last 20-some-odd years, right? That's a reality that is going to creep into your ability to perform well on a 2500 white paper assignment. I know that was a lot long-winded, but but at the end of the day, that's why check-in and check-out came around. Yeah, so I want to give my perspective on what uh, Mr. Dave Stewart just shared. Um, so as he mentioned last year uh, for Class 71, um, I did not use uh, my myself and my co-instructor, we did not use the check-in, check-out. 
um, technique. Um, it went well. It was nice. Uh, we always tried to create that positive environment. We tried communicating with the students really well, tried to set them up for success. We always tried that for 100%. Um, but what I did notice is uh, for class 72, as I moved uh, to to another room with Sergeant Major Velasco, and uh, he was he wanted to use the check-in, check-out technique, um, I did notice a big difference. Uh, and so what's that difference, right? So the, the difference is, is students themselves, when you create that environment started off in the beginning, um, they're more willing to share some of the things maybe they did not want to share before. Um, now that takes some time and I'm not saying that happens automatically on the first day, but you see the difference from one to two to three days compared to last year. So I compare my first three semesters this year to my last year, five semesters, right? Uh, and I kind of tie this into the team building stages, right? Where you talk about your forming, norming, storming, and performing. Um, so I noticed that this year using the check-in, check-out technique, um, we get past the storming phase and sometimes we don't even, I don't even see it. You get to the performing stage a lot quicker. Um, at times last year, we never even made it there. Uh, we kind of stayed at the storming phase, but so far using the check-in, check-out technique within our first three semesters, uh, and Sergeant Major Velasco, uh, he could kind of add on this. We've seen these classes, uh, like I said, hit the norming stage fairly quickly. I mean, within a couple of days sometimes. Uh, and then, um, I don't even notice a storming uh, phase at, at, at all. It feels like they just go straight to performing it, which is great because by the time they start getting to those group activities towards the end of the semester, they're really, really performing really well. Uh, so I just wanted to share my experience on that because I was not implementing it last year and I was first started using it this year with Sergeant Major Velasco and I thought it, it helped a lot to create that uh, growth culture, if you will. Uh, and, it, and it's a technique that we can use anywhere uh, throughout the, our, our army as well that can help. Yeah, and just kind of to add on, right? The the whole check-in and check-out process, this is what we've got from students as well is, you know, they're, they want to incorporate it into their meetings, right? When they come into a meeting, hey, before we even start the meeting, you know, hey, does anybody have anything to say? We've got to check in. You know, how does anybody struggling with anything today? Because everybody in the army is struggling in some some way, shape, or form. Right, and that's that's how some of the students told us that they were going to implement it. And one of the the really things that amazed me is I had a student come up to me, and right when we talk about building those connections, he actually implemented that with his wife. He said, "When we go home at night, he's in the morning. You know, I'll check in with my wife, see how she's doing, see how she's going, and then at the at the end of the night, we'll get together and see how the day went, see if there was any struggles or challenges." And that's the way, I mean, it really hit home when he's building that connection at home, right, with his wife, because of deployments and sacrifices that we make in the Army, you know, it's hard to have those connections. Sometimes those connections get lost. And that's one of the big things that we, we found here with check-in and check-out is that just about all the soldiers coming in to the academy are all having these struggles of making connections. So they can, I mean, this can be implemented at home. It can be implemented with an organization. And we just kind of formalized it, right? It, it's something we, we do, we tend to do, but it's not very consistent. But by formalizing it, right, there's some guidelines, there's some focus, 
And it is about your personal being, your personal reaction that, you know, what, what are you bringing to the table today? Can you perform? Can you not perform? Right? Do you need a little assistance? Do you need somebody to check on you? And we've had amazing results where, right? There's a lot of struggles in today's army and hopefully by people opening up and identifying those struggles, it normalizes that, you know, you're not alone. You're not struggling alone. Everybody's here to assist you because there's others having those same struggles. Yeah, sorry, Major. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the idea of struggling, right? And, and again, you asked, what, what does it look like in a unit? And I'll tell you, if I knew what I knew today as a retired Sergeant Major, I'd be, I'd be really dangerous. I'd be gunning for the Sergeant Major of the Army's job, right? So, uh, but, but at the end of the day, and, and I just thought of this, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be called check-in, doesn't have to be called check-out, but, you know, squad leaders and platoon sergeants and first sergeants have a unique opportunity every day, right? They have a beginning formation and they have an ending formation. It, and the Army already calls it fall in and fall out. So, you know, when you have your first, you know, formation of the morning, right, your, your tight little team, hey, how's everybody doing? Has anybody got anything to share, you know, from the weekend? Uh, you know, and you, you have to be okay with silence, right? We, we, we sometimes go two or three days with nobody sharing anything. And then all of a sudden, like five or six people will share something, you know, got, you know, kid's birthday. That's super exciting. You know, whatever, whatever the case is, it doesn't have to always be bad news, right? Uh, share the good news. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling good today. I'm not feeling so good today. Um, it has to be authentic. It has to come from the heart. Can't be scripted, right? But, but you ask, what would it look like? Absolutely. Fall in formation. How's everybody doing? And then when we close out the day with a fallout, let's make sure that when when that formation dissipates for the day, everybody's leaving on a good note. Does somebody need some help? Is everybody, you know, does anybody struggling that uh, that I might need to keep an eye on? So, so there you go. And then I just want to add one little small element there. Um, so, and it all starts with the leader, right? The leader has to believe in that. And so the leader, when they're instilling that in the organization, just like the example Mr. Stewart gave with the fall in, the leader probably should be one of the first ones or the first one to be willing to share that uh, hardship if they do have a hardship or sh sharing that news. Uh, and that kind of helps on building that from the beginning. Because uh, if the leaders are not willing to share and just expect the individual soldiers and subordinates to share, uh, it's kind of hard to build that trust. So again, it starts all with the leader. They have to believe in it. They have to support it. They have to be willing to share. And sometimes it's good to provide that good example. Yeah, and it has to, and it has to be genuine. It has to be genuine from the leader, right? Because if you're not genuine, it's you're not going to get that that same feedback from from your soldiers. I mean, something for example, like a first sergeant getting up there and saying, you know what, my my wife is mad at me. I was here at work till twenty hundred. You know, trying to square things away, but my, my my wife's kind of mad at me when we had a fight. You know, so this morning I'm not. You know, I'm here. I'm here with you. I'm gonna do PT, but I'm just not not that not best. You know, I got some other stuff on my mind, but you know, those are those are my challenges, my personal challenges. Because we've noticed that the more we share as instructors about our personal our personal being and what is going on with us, the more the students are willing to open up as well. Yeah, so I I he keeps bringing up right off authenticity, genuine, right? Uh, and, and I tell people all the time that we, we talk a lot about authentic leadership, 
but do we really know what authentic leadership is? Because a lot of leaders are hiding their inadequacies, right? And so I tell people that if you're gonna be a true authentic leader, you have to show that you are a human being, that you have vulnerabilities, right? And, and Brene Brown, um, in, in her work, uh, you know, she says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage, right? Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness, right? Uh, again, how, and we used to have a, a, a value in the army called candor, where we spent a lot of time being open and honest with people, right? And then as candor kind of disappeared from our language, right? We had a harder time connecting with people, telling them how we feel, being open and honest with them, right? Maybe it's time to, to look at bringing candor back into our, our doctrinal language. Well, I have a follow-up on that. Uh, you guys talked about vulnerability and everything that you're talking about right now ties back to 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 that authenticity and 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 but you know you're also talking about culture and part of the army culture is if you uh, show vulnerability it appears as weakness so how can you combat that you know it's a culture change that has to happen uh, at a very basic level but what would you say about that yeah no I I, I agree with you right um... I think, you know, I think all the senior leaders are, 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 are saying the same thing, right? Um, you know, we, we it, it's no secret. We, we've had uh, some mental struggles with some folks across our formations, right? Not just in the Army, the Marines, the Air Force, the Navy, the, the military in general uh, has, has those struggles, right? Um, but again, providing that environment where people okay with sharing vulnerability, right, uh, shows that we're, we're, we're all on the same level, that we're, we're all penetrable by life events. And I think that's the only way. Is it going to solve every, um, you know, let's say the word, right, uh, suicide in, in, in the military, in the world? Uh, probably not, right? Uh, but if, if 10 people listening to this podcast or, or or 10 people read our article and 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 build an environment where these folks uh, can feel okay with sharing their vulnerabilities and and has that person get help then then everything that we've done has been worth it right we're not going to solve the the entire humongous ability of this problem. But at the end of the day, if we can get some people to understand the criticality of building an environment where they build trust relationships and cohesive teams, right? If I'm struggling and I, I'm thinking that I don't wanna be here anymore, I can tell Sergeant Major Atkinson, like, dude, my wife left me. Um, you know, my nephew was murdered last week and, and do things are tough right now. He knows, but I felt comfortable sharing that with him because that was an environment that we set up. Uh, and so now people can keep an eye on me, help me through these struggles, right? You see it in social media all the time. 
Uh, and that's because there's not an environment that exists where they feel comfortable with sharing. And again, not everybody's going to do it. I think all three of us are going to tell you that we have people that don't share anything all semester, right? But they're going to go back out to the field and not understand the opportunity that they missed, right? Uh, and like Sergeant Major Velasco shared, there are going to be five or six people from each semester that are going to go try and implement this and their unit and organization because they feel value in it, which at the end of the day is going to make the Army better, right? The Army is a aircraft carrier. Just because you push on the wheel left, the aircraft carrier doesn't start turning left immediately. It takes a little bit of time, right? The Army is not a Mini Cooper. It, it you know, Mini Coopers turn left as soon as you hit the wheel. Uh, hopefully that, that kind of answers that follow-up, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think if we got more people to do this, uh, we would we would certainly uh, help alleviate uh, some of the some of the issues that that we we struggle with as a, as an army. That's that's one of the things that I I really liked about the check in and check out. It was a practical way to implement some of those things and to be authentic with your soldiers. I know that some of the uh, small group leaders at the last unit that I came from, they implemented their own techniques to do this. It can be anything from hunting the good stuff daily to some teams called it peaks and valleys or talking about their roses and thorns and, and out the days and their, their lives. So there's many different ways that, that leaders, small group leaders, team leaders out there, right? This is when we talk about, this is my squad and how small teams can impact bigger groups. There's a lot of different ways and techniques out there and check in and check out. It's just one practical way of doing that. But when a uh, leader is authentic, they can find different ways to do the same, to accomplish the same goals. I'm certainly glad that, that, that you made, uh, you know, those connections. And again, there's, there's several, there are several other little things out there, right? You don't, you know, you don't have to call it check in, check out. You can call it fall in, fall out, or, uh, like you said, some people do hunt the good stuff, right? And, 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 and that positive psychology is good as well. But, but realizing that, that a lot of people, right, have, have bad things happen too, right? So um, uh, it's, it's important to share um, those high emotions and those low emotions at the same time, right? We just don't want to share the good things because we know bad things happen in everybody's lives. You know, I, I shared with my my students last year and this year, right? With the uh, with the problems of COVID, my wife is foreign born. Uh, she lost her wife uh, and a nephew during COVID, and she, you know, she wasn't able to go home and and go to a funeral uh, because of the travel restrictions. And so, you know, for me, I was at work trying to be upbeat and and everything else, but I had to share with my students that, hey, you know, I'm I'm kind of concerned about my wife's well being. You know, so my thoughts are not completely here in the classroom with you right this minute. Uh, and so if I seem a little distant today or, you know, over the next few days, uh, it's not, you know, anything big, but, but I want to make sure you get the information you need to be successful. Hold me accountable to get you that information. And that's an example, right, of, of, of uh, you know, some of those struggles that, that you know, we 
you know, also share with our students. It's not a one-way street, as Sergeant Major Atkinson mentioned. You know, we share we share our struggles too. In fact, I did it this morning uh, with the students at the end of the semester. I've been in a funky mood the last couple of days, uh, and I did not share with them that our article got published. Right, but for me, that was a really big moment because this thing has been brewing in my head forever, uh, and now it's finally out. Right. So I told them, I apologized to him this morning. I said, hey, hey, guys, I'm sorry I've been in a funky mood the last couple of days. But, you know, I finally shared with them after a couple of days, you know, that, hey, our article got published uh, recently. And so you guys can, you know, uh, feel free to go on the NCO Journal, read it and, and, you know, grade it, you know, whatever the case is. Right. I'm showing my vulnerability now to my students who I've been, quite frankly, you know, uh, a little harsh with on the on the writing. So, uh, you know, a good recent example. No, that's a great, great point, Mr. Stewart. And kind of everything when we talk about suicide and everything else and behavioral health, you know, right? They want us to show uh, leaders to show our vulnerabilities is, hey, this is some of the things that we have going on, you know, that I, you know, I've gone to see behavioral health. And, you know, and we've seen it with some students last year that, you know, by us opening up that they're like, oh, you're, you're doing that? You're, you're, you're seeking help? Yeah. As a SAR major, I'm seeking help too, and I'm trying to make myself better. And you know, I have these medical issues, and you'll see that culture dynamic change where you're like, they get that aha moment, like, you know what? Maybe it is time to take care of myself. Maybe it is time, and that's kind of the intent of it, right? Is to try to normalize this stuff as we all suffer and we're all going through the same things, but you normalize it that it's not only you going through it; it's everybody going through it as a team together. To build a foundation and establish this culture, in your article, you say. One must establish trust and a shared identity. In the wake of incidents such as those at Fort Hood, how does the Army truly build trust? So it, it's challenging if, with the things that happen uh, in our Army throughout the world. It does make it difficult uh, to build trust. But ultimately, it always starts by trying to start at the beginning, at the lowest level, if it's a small team, however you're intimate within your family, all those things, right? But you got to establish those norms within that team, and and that changes. Uh, for example, our class it changes every semester, right? It's it's you bring fifteen to sixteen individuals together, uh, and they have to establish their norms, and sometimes they're different, uh, and that's okay. Uh, just like you have different squads, different teams, different platoons, but they have to establish their norms. Once you establish those norms, then everyone should believe that they put, and everybody should have input on these too, because that, that's very valuable. And then they put that together, and, and then now they're moving towards one shared identity, one shared goal. Uh, and then, and that's where it starts. And that's, and, and if you can do that, it, it will get better. Uh, long as everyone believes, everyone shares, everyone's going forward with it, it, it should build the trust. Um, what you can't do is have those incidents like EO incidents, sharp incidents, uh, anything that hurts that team uh, will will destroy any trust within that organization, that element, that platoon, whatever it is. Yeah, you cannot have that. We cannot afford that. So those things that happen throughout our army uh, definitely hurt our organization uh, at all levels. Uh, even if it doesn't have anything to do with you, people do see that and it does affect it. So. Uh, at the end of the day, we cannot afford to have those incidents there. 
No, I believe I believe everything when we talk about Fort Hood, everything kind of comes down to two two different aspects, either engaged leadership and self accountability. Right, you have to be accountable for your own actions, and us as leaders, we have to get out there and say, you know, this, you know, what happened, it happened, right? But now, what is our way forward? But you have to be you have to be genuine, and transparent with with that, right? We didn't we didn't do maybe what we were supposed to do the way we we're supposed to do it. But now, you know, we're going to focus on this, on these different aspects, because, right, it depends on what level and where you're trying to build trust, right? SAR majors aren't going to get that trust right off the bat from the E4 and below, right? It's those E5s and E6 that are going to build that trust, but it's how they message what is going on, right? This is what we got doing. This is what we got going, right? We have to do this training and we have to do this training effectively. But if that message come across like, but it comes down from the leadership, right? Hey, well, we just need to we just need to make sure it's green. Just check the block. Well, guess what? That message goes all the way down, and that's what those E4 and below are getting. Oh, we just need to check the block. So this is not important. But it has to be message from the top. Hey, this is important. How are we going to attack this? How are we going to conduct this training to make sure it meets the intent? And we're not just going to go say we got it done, right? Look at some PowerPoint slides. But how are we going to actually make a difference in somebody's lives that might be going through these different hardships? And it's just it's messaging, right? Because you'll be surprised what you say as a leader and it trickles all the way down. And now that same attitude kind of runs down and up your organization. So if we're going to do something, take the soldier's time, we need to make sure that we have a good plan and a good way to attack that training platform or those objectives. So that way the soldier actually gets something out of it and actually feels like, hey, this is this was good training, right? Because we spent a lot of time talking about field training. What are you doing in the field? How are you getting after it? How are you... Do we spend that same amount of time when it per, as it pertains to training in garrison, right? How are you making this training effective, right? How are you getting the soldiers to take something away from it and showing that's important because their well-being is important to us as an organization and us as an army? Yeah, I, and you mentioned Fort Hood, right? And I, I kind of jotted down, but if you if you went back and reread that report, right? And I, I, I vaguely remember what I read in the report, you'll find, you know, that there were lots of environments where people didn't feel safe or secure in sharing things that were going on, right? So think if if the environment there would have been um, conducive to people sharing and feeling confident that their leaders, right, were going to listen and do something right? That, that feedback works both ways, right? If your subordinates give you feedback and you do nothing, don't be surprised when you get no more feedback, right? Because why waste my time and effort? But if we would have had an environment where people felt safe to share uh, um, those, those vulnerabilities or what they were seeing, how different would the incident at Fort Hood would have been? But but I, I invite anybody who's read the report to go back and read it. There are there are tall tale signs of where there were environments where people just didn't feel safe uh, in the environment that they were a, a part of. And you have to have you have to have engaged leaders, right? You have to. I mean, as much as you know, time is a constraint for us. And when we talk about resources, time is part of those resources. You have to have those engaged leaders going and checking on them soldiers, going and seeing what they're doing, right? And because if you don't, then they're kind of left to their own vices, right? Nobody really cares about me. I'm here eight hours a day, then I leave. 
right? Nobody checks on me. And some of those challenges, right? We have to be better at engaging our soldiers when we do have that time. All right, gentlemen, is there anything else you'd like to add or something that you think we could have discussed um, that you'd like to maybe expound upon or just add to? No, otherwise we'd be here all day. Again, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you go. All right, thanks. Enjoy the conversation. Great yeah. conversation. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you, our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to print, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.